0: Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Karina and Levi Seidel who are going to come on and tell us all about their experience with small multifamily in Austin, doing some flips, doing some SDR in Austin, and how they've structured all that with partnerships and working together. Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, Jordan. Hey. Doing well. Thank
1: you for having
0: us. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I know, uh, I think we've been talking for a few years on bigger pockets and like at meetups around town here. Um, yeah. But I know you guys yeah. have been working hard on on real estate here in Austin.
1: Yeah, no, believe it or not, but uh, you were actually our, I believe, very, very first broker that we met when we um, moved to Austin. So I still remember we met at the Starbucks. You were. Very knowledgeable, you know, well, a lot about, about Austin.
0: <laughs> two years ago, right?
1: Two. Yeah. About two years ago.
0: That's awesome. We probably actually so,
2: 2020, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. You guys have done a lot in two years. That's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> before we dive too much into that, I'm going to get the most important question we ask here out of the way. What's your favorite restaurant in Austin?
2: Uh, so I actually still do,
1: didn't find the one I absolutely love, but with that said, I do have a, a cocktail bar. I really like, um, oh, cool. it's called, um, tipsy alchemist. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Really, really good place. Really good atmosphere. And, uh, but yeah, still looking for a restaurant. Um, like.
2: Yeah. I'd say mine's probably like a cop-out answer. Uh, But I really like wings, and so I'm gonna go with like Wingstop or Buffalo Wild Wings, just because I really like wings. I am always mango habanero, always all (laughs) flats. It's a a a cheat of an answer, but that's what I'll go with.
0: No Wingstop's got good wings. I like the uh, the lemon pepper wings they have there are really good. That's a good one for me too. I try to like I try to watch the carbs and (laughs) eating wings. You're no carbs. You're good to go. Yeah.
2: Well, so, that's what I'll use as my justification right
0: <laughs> forward. I'll take it. Yeah, we can take it. So, you know, I know you guys are are working hard with uh, small multifamily, the value add stuff here in the Austin area and other areas too. Could you talk more about that and tell us why you chose to start with small multifamily value add?
2: Yeah, I'd say that the the reason why we started with small multifamily uh was just because when we initially started out looking at real estate and uh, investing in real estate, we had saw there was a lot of different places you could go, a lot of different places you could invest, and small multifamily seemed like a good starting point for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of skipped over the single family because we were looking for something that had cash flow. We started out learning from Brandon Turner um, and other similar minds like that. And so they had always talked about cash flow being king and you know the cash on cash return. And so whenever we dove in, we didn't want to you know mess with the commercial space. We felt like we didn't you know have the experience and knowledge. Uh, so we went right with the multifamily. We did the value add so we could force some appreciation mm-hmm. uh, and then we either would flip them and sell them or we turn them into rentals uh, with with a with
0: a reasonable return. Okay, so I know we you you flipped some and then you held some, um, and then you also talked about you were going to do STR on some. So, how do you determine? Hey, this is one I'm going to hold, or hey, this is one I'm going to flip, or maybe this is one I'm going to do an STR on. What changes for you in each of those? Yeah, that's. Or a good what's question. your criteria for saying hey, this is this is a behold.
2: A lot of them, I think, the majority of the ones they started out as holds, mm-hmm. uh, but then in some instances we kind of pivoted because of the situation. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, we you know started out investing in in the Austin area, and then we you know hopped off like, hey, let's check out Saint Petersburg, Florida, mm-hmm. and so we went over there and you know bought a duplex in a really rough neighborhood. Uh, we weren't familiar with exactly how rough it was. We bought it sight unseen. Uh, we had a really hard time dealing with contractors. It was a really rundown property. Um, and by the time we actually got it rented, I think we ended up going through like three or four leases before we actually got one person who ended up, you know, being a needing to be evicted. And so that one just kind of ended up being more work than it was worth. And so, you know, just looking at the numbers over a shorter period of time, like six months, we were like, hey, like, let's exit this. Um,
1: I I think we um so. Our first couple of deals were actually in uh, Killeen and Copper Cove area. So about an mm-hmm. hour and a half uh, north of Austin. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were both fourplexes. And it just made sense to um, hold them as long-term um, long-term holds. A really great cash flow. And we actually experienced really good appreciation Where uh, I guess everyone did, but uh, um, <laughs> on those deals. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, we did... Um, I guess, two flips in Austin area. Actually, one of them we wish we kept, it was in Round Rock, it was also a duplex that uh, we renovated. We did a condo conversion. That's where you you know, divide a duplex into two separate condos and we sold them separately to get a, a higher ARV. Uh, but it would have been a great uh, long term trample, but we made really good money on that one. And I think that was our... Um, Back then we didn't know we could use private money and partner without other people. So uh that was the motivation for that one just to get some extra cash in so we can get our next deal. Uh and uh with the current STR, it was actually never a plan to um turn it into a uh, short term rental. It's mm. just it was another duplex that we uh condo um that we did a condo regime on. We sold uh one right, well, it was already in the midst of a market correction that we're currently experiencing. And the second unit, unfortunately, weren't as lucky to sell for what we wanted to sell it for. So we opted to refi it and um, uh, turn it into uh short-term rental, which numbers make sense. And uh, it's it's an exit strategy. It's not what we wanted, but that's just a lesson that's always important to have a backup plan. And uh, yeah. if that's what we're doing.
2: <laughs> no, that's I'd so say we going into these, we always had like an understanding of them as potentially being rentals or Mm -hmm. potential flips kind of going in. Some of them, we had the mindset of having them as rentals, but even on the flips, we'd always kept that rental as, as she said, like as an exit scenario needed.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, it sounds like you have such a good understanding of of real estate investing and those backup strategies and all that kind of stuff. And that's really cool. And I think, you know, when you're, when you're swinging for the fences, you know, obviously, like you're trying to flip a property, make a big profit or something like that, you need to have a backup strategy. So, how did you get started being interested in real estate investing? And what did you do to educate yourself to learn all this? Because this all sounds like, oh, they know all this stuff, but how'd you learn it? Yeah. Um
1: so we actually started thinking about re- real estate shortly after um graduating college. Um we both got jobs at um Amazon and mm-hmm. we thought everything was great. We we made it, we were making good salaries, we're now uh-huh. living in sunny Santa Barbara, paying mm-hmm. three thousand in rent for like one bedroom one bath apartment and realizing well we're never gonna be financially free like this and at that time we started thinking okay what other avenues can we explore for making extra income we thought about selling stuff on amazon we thought about other things and then kind of real estate was always in the back of our heads and uh we like Probably a lot of investors just stumbled on bigger pockets. We started listening to podcasts, reading books, finally analyzing our first deal, and you know the hardest thing was probably making that step of doing our first deal. And then after doing that deal, we realized, wow, this this is the way. <laughs> And uh, shortly after that, we uh, quit our jobs at Amazon. I was there for maybe eight months. I oh. didn't like it. He was yeah. there for maybe what, about a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. And we just saw a cash flow, the passive cash flow. That's the beauty of it. And also the, the appreciation of the real estate. And of course it has, it's its cyclical. And right now we're seeing some not as great times, but, you know. Um, so yeah, I guess that was the motivation of the of the passive income of the time having control of your time and not working for a man
2: and uh i don't know if you had anything to add yeah no i think she she pretty much touched on it i think another catalyst was like after we had moved to santa barbara um you know we kind of got settled in and things felt comfortable and, you know, we went out on the weekends and we bought the things we wanted to, but we started to like have conversations about what actually mattered to us, how much money we wanted to make, and then ultimately why we even wanted to make money. Yeah. And I think, right. And so like, we ultimately were like, well, there's kind of a roof on us where we are. and And I think our mindset changed from thinking that. We had had it all and we were at the top, you know, and we, we figured it out to kind of being like, you know, we're a little bit closer to the bottom than I think we were initially thinking, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like wasn't as great. And there was a ceiling on us mm-hmm. and looking at potential opportunities in our current route, even if we were to hop from different companies, there was always going to be this, this low ceiling. And I think we saw real estate as a means of generating wealth And eventually moving to a point where we could minimize the amount of time we have to put in to continue creating this wealth and maintaining this wealth Mm -hmm. to actually live the life we want to live and and enjoy the quality uh, that we desired ultimately.
0: No, I love that. You know, you talked about ceiling, like your ceiling only goes up at the rate that you get promoted or get a raise at work too, where in real estate, you can jump up levels overnight. You don't have to climb the stairs. You can go five levels up. Overnight and to say, oh, I'm doing this now. Like, you know, we talked about uh residential to commercial. You know, you can go from one unit or even single family to fourplex. You know, you're buying one unit at a time. You say, I'm gonna buy fourplexes now. And you're buying four units at a time. You can scale up so much quicker. And that's really cool. Um, you can also build something for the future. I mean, in your job. If you, for some reason, can't work your job next year, maybe you've got unemployment for six months. I think that's what it is. But after that, you're out of luck. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Or if you buy a rental property, as long as you maintain that rental property and take care of it and manage it, you've got it forever. So,
2: yeah, that's completely such agree.
0: A cool way.
2: Yeah, that's definitely one of like the freedoms as well. I mean, even like, with like our first couple of deals, like I think we've already reached a point where like you know we're making some passive income, and we, we certainly haven't reached the quality of life we want. But like even at our current income, if we were to you know be unable to work, like we would never you know be have to go back to a nine to five or to some kind mm-hmm. of corporate job. You know I, we would gladly live below our means, you know, versus going back and and working in a in a, in a role you are not actually satisfied
0: with. That's awesome. Um, so, you talked about analyzing deals too. So, I, I just out of curiosity, we used to talk about or used to hear on podcasts all the time, like bigger pockets back in the day. They talked about, oh, analyze this number of deals before you buy your first deal. Or the first thing you need to do is start analyzing deals. I feel like that's been lost. So, how many deals did, did y'all analyze before you bought your first one? Hey, guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. A lot. (laughs) Yeah.
1: A lot. Um, I can't even put a number on it,
2: but... um, Just a guess. Probably a guess, maybe like... Somewhere between 50
0: to 100 deals, probably. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Me too. And you talked about the first deal was kind of the hardest deal. And it sounds like they've gotten progressively easier since that first deal. But I think that's so hard for so many people to realize that not every deal is going to be near as hard as that first deal. Um, What was the biggest roadblock for you in that first deal? Like, what, what was it that kept you from getting that first deal done?
1: I think what made it hard—not the deal itself. The deal itself actually went pretty smoothly because we found a great contractor, we found a great realtor, we we, we had a good team behind us. You know, mm-hmm. what made the deal hard is just making that first step of like, okay, we're doing it. We analyzed enough deals, we listened to enough podcasts, we read enough books, like we just got to do it. And I think that's the hardest step you can take, but it's the most important step you will make in your real estate career. It's just Mm -hmm. starting. So, um, with that said, we, uh, You know, it was the first deal was a fourplex. There were some things we didn't expect, like, you know, two of the apartments were flooded by previous tenants. And we were just like, there's still new investors, like, but again, we just had a good team with us from the, you know, from the get go. And I think that's what made a big difference on you know making that deal stress-free and that's i guess another lesson that's always have um you know good people with you good good teammates who will advise you on how to do things for knowledgeable people so um but yeah the deal itself was was good overall uh it was just that that first step was kind of the fear of okay what if we fail what if it doesn't go as planned it's like well then just don't do real estate then so yeah yeah
0: i think that mental block is so important to get over that first deal it's so that that's the hard part like you're talking about karina the uh the the processes of the first deal are not hard but getting past your your fear and anxiety of something going horribly wrong in the first deal it seems so insurmountable for a while once you do it you're like oh that was no big deal it was like. You know, you're a kid and you're about to go down the slide or something. You're so scared of going down the slide or, or going on a roller coaster. And it's such a big deal. And then you go go on that roller coaster and you're like, oh, I can do that a hundred times. No problem. But that first ride, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's going to be just terrifying.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, certainly. And I think we were, I'd say, blessed to have entered the market uh, like shortly after COVID had come about. And I think that was like kind of right before everything really took its big spike in terms of like medium home prices. And so thankfully we had kind of, we didn't know it. We unknowingly had, you know, this cushion of, of you know, substantial market growth that would be happening over the next two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which also in the hindsight, I think, you know, looking back, I wish we had just bought everything, <laughs> You know, like anything would have been fine, you know, at this point.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you, being in the market these last two years, it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, it, uh, we, the good times have passed and blah, blah, blah. But really, wow. the good times are always, it, like Karina, you mentioned, things are cyclical. Um, now we're in kind of a lull. And I think it's a great time to buy real estate at good values if you've got the the ability to do so and then ride it on the way up. But that real estate is so interesting because it's not where you buy buy low, sell high. That's not the only way to make money. You know we've talked about a lot about in this episode of cash flow and passive income. You can buy real estate right anytime and make cash flow and passive income, and then it's still paying itself off, and then you're still getting some appreciation, you're still getting some loan pay down and depreciation. I'm sure you guys have pretty favorable tax treatment as real estate investors with all the great stuff that we get to take advantage of. So it's exciting, but at the same time, it's a little slow and boring, and yeah. that's what I love about it personally.
2: Yeah. I think it's also important to remember that like, you know, real estate, like these are like long most of them are long term assets, you know, like Mm -hmm. people mentioned like time in the market, like you know, these really aren't stocks. Like you don't come in and buy low so high. So it's like Mm -hmm. if you like about these assets over like longer periods of time, you really lose a lot of, you know, that risk associated with like a, you know, oh, I bought it in the market, dipped 20K, I'm, you know, out of luck. Like, just as long as you set it up such so that you have the means to hang on to this for a time mm-hmm. period such that that is negated and eventually you know entirely offset and you end up making money on it so i think looking at it with a longer horizon and averaging these returns out over longer periods depending on your strategy can really help you know normalize i think a, a lot of that concern
0: yeah yeah and that's why we're buying cash flowing assets that we have the means to hold on to, like you're talking about. So I think that's a good good way to look at it is how do I buy something that I, like you guys talked about, we don't just have one exit strategy where we can hold on to it long term because long term, almost everything works. But you know, if, if your flip doesn't work out and you don't have any backup plans, then you end up in trouble and that's not fun.
2: Yeah, and I think that's dangerous. Like as long as you're not putting yourself in a position where you know you don't have those exit clauses, where you end up, you know, becoming insolvent, you can't pay your mortgage. You know, once you get out of that domain, it really becomes a game of optimization. It's man, this property only had a fifteen percent return. This one only had a seven. This one had a thirty. I think you know you begin to look at it over how can I optimize and maximize my returns versus, you know, oh, am I gonna make or break my financial portfolio? I I think a lot of that notion, a lot of those notions begin to disappear once you once you enter a steady state.
0: Yeah. Yeah, over a longer period of time. Um, can can we talk about any mistakes you've made? So I like to to help our listeners understand what not to do. And I think that's so important. So for me, I always go back to due diligence, making sure I do the right due diligence and making sure I, I have the right partners, things like that. But can you tell our listeners about a, a mistake you've made or what the biggest mistake you've made is?
1: Yeah, I think I'll just start with the the lesson and then turn it into a mistake. But um, for us, it's it was know what you were doing and know when you don't know what you're doing. And what I mean by this is, for example, if you want to flip a house, Mm -hmm. you need to first read five books on house flipping, listen to 100 podcasts, and most importantly, talk to people who flipped 100 houses or just flipped on the scale. Mm -hmm. And uh, with us, it was particular. we learned it the hard way on one of our flips, one of our bigger flips that was a little different from the previous flips with, that we made in, in a way that it was uh, it was more complex. It involved working with the city, working with engineers, architects. Um, we had to pull permits, um, which a lot of investors don't do, but we just felt it was the the right <laughs> thing to do on, on the project. And um You know, we we burned on that project because we didn't know enough. We didn't know how to deal with cities, So we we had a lot of delays on our timeline. We our budget just skyrocketed very quickly because one of the things that, for example, City of Austin made us do is replace the entire wiring in the house that we didn't plan on. Yeah, and that's because we opened up um, the walls. And if 50% or more of your sheetrock is um, down, they make you rewire the house, no matter oh, if it's gosh. grandfathering or. Yeah. So, and that could have been easily avoided if we maybe talked to someone who's done this big of a fleet before and say, hey, this is how you deal with this. This is how you deal with this. Or even, you know, I, I was. Before I was a little scared of going into partnerships and partnering with strangers. But now I realize that this is actually a really good strategy of partnering with someone more knowledgeable, someone who can really bring value. And I I oftentimes, like especially with newer investors, you know, it's you can offer a small um you can take a smaller share in exchange for just learning learning and avoiding doing bad deals because in real estate unfortunately bad deals cost money and sometimes it costs a lot of money so i guess the biggest yeah, the biggest mistake is just not being knowledgeable enough in this, you know, particular area. And uh, the lesson is, you know, knowledge should be at the core of your business. And if you don't know how to do something, then don't do
2: it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a, that's the best <laughs> advice ever, right there. If you don't know, if you don't know how to do something, <laughs> and you don't have a partner that knows how to do something, maybe don't do it. Um, but I liked how you talked about that. There are all these ways to learn. You know, just because yeah. you don't know how to do something doesn't mean that you, you can't ever do it. It just means you need to learn or you need to find somebody that knows. So that's great advice. That's a, uh, one of the best answers to that question that I've ever gotten. Thank you. <laughs> um, following on that, if you had to start over today, it's complete, no assets, no real estate experience, and, but you still knew what you knew today. If you had to start over today, What would you do differently, if anything?
2: Um I'd say probably one of the biggest things that we would do differently would be to begin assembling a team and outsourcing uh, mm-hmm. particular functions out earlier. Mm-hmm. So when we started off we were the property manager, we were the contractor, we were you know every single role you can think of we we gave it a go and at, at times we juggled many of them. And I think we ended up compromising on you know, scale and learning and all of the other opportunity costs, you know, networking, all these things we could have been doing in exchange for saving a few dollars on contractors. Mm-hmm. you know, and so I think that'd probably be one of the things that we'd do earlier is we'd skip, you know going through the process of doing everything ourselves, being contractors, and just go right to trying to build a team, get the right people around us. Get the right information around us yeah. um, and and focus on the bigger problems, the problems that you know someone else isn't gonna necessarily answer for you or serve on a silver platter for you, um, and tackle those.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think it anybody can build a team at any stage in their career. So and a team can be as simple as like, like you're talking about, Levi, having a contractor or having a property manager, people that or third-party professionals that you can hire and you don't have to manage. So I like think it's easy to think of team means I have all these employees under me, but a GC is worth so much money. And their their job, quite literally, the general contractor manages all those subs that are running around right there. So like, that's what you're paying that person to do is take that all off your plate. That's, a, that's great advice there too. Um, so y- y'all have done a lot. And you know, I know we talked a little bit before the podcast, but what are your goals here in the future? What's next for you? What, where are you going?
1: Yeah, so, uh, there is a one, uh, pretty popular investor on Instagram, probably a lot of listeners know her, but uh, investor breed, and mm-hmm. one of the things she, she says is, Think bigger sooner, mm-hmm. and this this quote is very much resonates with us because we've been investing in multifamily. We've been doing a lot of cool things, but I think we, before we didn't know that we could do bigger things because we saw that, okay, we're just not knowledgeable enough or money would be the issue or this and that. So with that said, we decided to think bigger sooner and uh, move towards commercial real estate. Um, we realized that we're not going to do it on our own. Um, that's why this year we, and I guess at the end of last year and beginning of this year, we put networking as one of our, uh, as a priority. We try to meet um People in the commercial space, we uh, try to find people to partner with on this bigger deal so we can learn from them. So, um, and we are particularly inter- interested in self storage, RV parks, and potentially land development. Um, so, That's where we are at now. We are currently learning as much as we can, networking with as many people as we can, uh, kind of uh, putting procedures in place, um, trying to scale scale our lead
2: acquisition systems. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd say the focus kind of shifted from, you know, executing one off deals in a linear fashion to how can we build a real estate Business, Mm -hmm. and so I think with that in mind, we've been focusing on scale. How can we actually build out the protocols and procedures to move investments in volume? Um, And so you know, with that, that you know entails building a team. And like you'd say, it doesn't have to be employees. You know, Mm to be something as simple as you know getting involved with more third parties or bringing on a VA at four dollars an hour to take care of you know the legwork that could easily eat up a whole year's worth of our time. Um, but hopefully I think once we get all of these, um, procedures, uh, going and operational, I think the thought would be to eventually shift to, to starting a fund. Um, that's definitely something on our, on our three-year radar, I would say, uh, once, once we've got things operational
0: and feel comfortable. Awesome. Once you've done a few deals. No, that's awesome. I think it's that just what you said there, the three-year radar, um, having that longer term plan is so cool. You're saying, Hey, this is where we're going. We're going to, we're going to figure out what we got to do to get there. So, you know, where you're going, um, you'll figure out the rest of it. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, but
2: Yeah. I think that's probably one of our strongest suits is like, we, 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 I feel like we can change on like a dime. Like we're willing to pivot and, and, and change strategies the moment we find a better course of action. I think, we keep like a high-level goal. Like I think, Crane and I are very ambitious people, and we both would say that like our our kingpin goal is to build a real estate empire. You know, we want to go to the top. We want to do it as big as we can and as much volume as we can. And I think when we started off in real estate, how we envision that happening is very different from how we envision it now. And I'm sure that in three years, how we envision it will be entirely different as well as we meet more people. You know, learn about new things when opportunities open up. So, we have a plan right now, and and I think we, we we try not to plan too far out because we know that you know in three years we might be like, oh well, this is way better and it'll get us there three times faster. So, let's do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've got a plan, you've got a direction, and you're headed towards it. That's cool. Um, do you have a business or mindset book that you all like to recommend to people when they're saying thinking about getting into real estate investing?
2: Um yeah, well
1: one of the I guess for I would say one of the first books um I read um actually wasn't uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, but it was uh, <laughs> along similar, similar lines also by Robert kiyosaki uh why rich are getting richer. Um oh. and that book was just really important to me because it came at a he, he talked a lot about um historical crashes and market uncertainties and indicators and in how to see them he or predict them right and he also talked a lot of similar concept to reach debt poor debt but uh why savers are losers how taxes and debt make uh reach even richer so Uh, by the time I started reading it, I already kind of had that mindset, but that just reaffirmed it to me. And, um, I I think it's just a really, really good book, um, for anyone interested in just uh, business mindset, real estate, and uh, finance. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. I've not read that. Yeah,
1: no, I I really liked it. Yeah,
2: so definitely
0: recommend. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I think if I had to pick one it would probably be The Morning Miracle by how All right, yeah. It's one I, I recently read. Yeah. But for some reason I I just feel like this past year we weren't fully like living up to our full potential. You have it right well, here. This is a
0: miracle a miracle morning. Yep. Yeah, there's like a f- I don't know how many different editions. Um yeah. that's they're Miracle about, Morning for it. real estate. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think I read just like the general one, but maybe I should get the real estate specific one.
0: Um, there's a miracle morning. I've read the miracle morning for real estate agents. I've read the miracle morning. I've read the miracle morning for entrepreneurs. I want to say um, that it's all the same concepts really, but there's just how they, how they say it, you know, all really good stuff.
2: Yeah. yeah no exceptional. I think he like kind of instilled the 5 a.m. morning in me. And mm-hmm. I feel like ever since I started waking up earlier and focusing on self-improvement, I've seen, I think, exponential growth in other areas. So I, I think focusing on myself actually has led to, led to more results everywhere else. So I really do agree with that. And it.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with it. I, I do a miracle morning every morning, have for a couple of years, like getting wow. ahead of your day is so important, it's so easy just to wake up and let the day take hold. But when you get ahead and you set expectations for how the day is going to go and you get yourself right before the day starts, like you've got all the power, and that's just so important to do. It doesn't, I, I don't think it everybody's like, I'm not waking up at 5 a.m., I wake up at 4 30 a lot of days, I wake up at 5 30 some days, but. Like if you, if you have to be up at eight and you get up at seven, you've just gotten ahead of the day, you know? So I think it's, it's so important just do whatever you got to do to get ahead, even if it's 30 minutes. So important.
2: Completely agree. And it sounds like you've got like a lot of experience in that space. So I'm glad to hear that you've like done it for a couple of years. That makes me feel much better about doing it for, you know, the indefinite future.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so important. It makes such a difference. I, I hate this word or this phrase, but I absolutely was not a morning person. Um, I sold my last business because I didn't want to get up in the mornings. I had a personal training business that I ran. I built into a nice little business and I'm glad I sold it either way. But I sold that business partially because I'm like, you know what? Whenever a trainer calls out, I'm the first one that has to go in and take over that morning shift. And I'm tired of having to get up at four thirty in the morning. What do you know? Seven years later, getting up at four thirty in the morning.
2: So, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it, it's a big shift too, because it's like, I think for us, it's like there's a difference between getting up in the morning early because you have to, yeah, and getting up early because you want to because it provides value. You yeah. know? so like I can totally see why getting up early, having to train people, that's like a job. It's like, man, it doesn't sound fine. I got to wake up early. Whereas, like, I enjoy getting up early. Like I feel more accomplished. I, like you said, you get ahead of the day, you get so much more out of it. Um, I think it it provides value that is, you know, makes it just so much different than you have to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody needs to read that book. No matter what time of the morning you get up, you get up an hour early or 30 minutes earlier than you need to, you're going to have just life changing results. Um, That's an awesome one. I really like that. And I I love all Robert Kiyosaki's books too. That totally changed my mindset on money and finance. Um, Karina and Levi, what is the best way people can get a hold of you if they want to talk real estate or just learn more about what you're doing? Jordan Moorhead here. Really quick, he wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on.
1: Um, Well, the best way to reach me would be my uh, Instagram at uh, Karina Seidel underscore.
2: Yeah. Uh, You can probably find me uh, on uh, LinkedIn. It's probably the main avenue or on Instagram. I used to be like a no social media guy up until mm-hmm. recently when I found out I have to have a social media to yeah. you know have a presence in real estate. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Levi Seidel, uh, L-E-V-I-S-E-I-D-E-L, or on Instagram, also just the, the same tag, Levi Seidel, no spaces. Le-
0: Levi Seidel, no underscore, no no none of that. No. Nope. Karina, nope. you are nope. Karina underscore Seidel, right? I'm Karina Seidel underscore, underscore. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, someone beat it. <laughs> we'll have all this in the show notes for everybody, too. But uh, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan underscore Moorhead at Karina Seidel underscore, and at Levi Seidel. And of course, you know, obviously you find Levi on LinkedIn, too. But for everybody listening, find that in the show notes. Make sure you follow Karina and Levi. And I can't wait to see what you guys are able to do here in the coming year. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jordan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having
0: us. Good to see you. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Good Good to see see you.
0: Bye.